Today's episode of Socially Democratic is presented to you by Dunn Street. Dunn Street partners with businesses, organisations, unions and social democratic parties across Australia and the globe to train leaders, develop engagement strategies and empower people to organise for change. In 2020, Dunn Street will continue to work with folks that want to make a difference, inspire, give hope and enable leadership to achieve their shared purpose. To find out how you can engage or partner with Dunn Street, hit us up at dunnstreet.com. Dot au. Hello and welcome to another episode of Socially Democratic, your favourite centre-left weekly political and cultural podcast that dives into the progressive issues of the day and the people leading them from home and abroad. And we're heading back overseas again uh, today because we are speaking with Shannon Talbot, who we've spoken to before. Shannon is uh, the National Deputy Field Director for Colour of Change, which is the largest online racial justice uh, organisation in the United States that is essentially fighting for justice for African-Americans. If you recall, we spoke to Shannon when we were over in the United States in November last year as a part of the Dunn Street United States Engagement Mission. Um, And we were going to be over there this time Uh, now, this time now, sorry, we were going to be over in the United States doing this year's uh, engagement mission, but obviously uh, all of the restrictions have been put in place across the globe because of coronavirus has meant that we're not going over this year, but we will endeavour to hopefully, fingers crossed, get over there next year. But even though we couldn't get over there, I wanted to get Shannon on the phone uh, and have a bit of a chat to her about how things are going since we last spoke. Clearly, things have definitely changed in the space of racial justice for African-Americans. So today was an important podcast uh, in many, many ways. Also, thanks very much to everyone who's given us heaps of feedback, really positive feedback on uh, last week's episode, which had David Feeney and Eric Locke, two former state secretaries of the Victorian branch of the Labor Party, who came on to talk about... Uh, Labor Party reform in the wake of the 60 Minutes um, and the the Age uh, report into branch stacking in the Victorian branch, which resulted in essentially the suspension of the administration of the party and it being handed over to former Premier Steve Brax and uh, Jenny Macklin. Anyway, we got heaps of really positive responses. It is by far and away the most listened to episode of Socially Democratic thus far since we first began in March or April last year. Um, And we got heaps and heaps of really positive responses and a lot of interest. And um, I just really appreciate um, people getting in touch with uh, myself uh, through our various Dunn Street social media uh, platforms, which is a nice segue to say, don't forget to subscribe to Socially Democratic on your favorite podcast app. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and all the other sort of podcast apps. And please leave a rating and a review if you listen to us on Apple Podcast. Um, and to get all of the updates uh, for Socially Democratic, be sure to follow Dunn Street on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. Okay, let's get to today's episode. We're taping this one at 2 a.m. on Sunday morning, and we're doing that at this particular time because our guest uh, is not in this time zone, but not only is she not in this time zone, she's one very busy organizer. Uh, Shannon Talbot from Color of Change, welcome back to Socially Democratic. Thank you for having me, Stephen. Yes, it is much more suitable time here. It's uh, 12 o'clock on Saturday for me. The, uh, the last time we spoke was in November last year um, when we were over in, in DC and we had a, actually did a podcast uh, together and talked a bit about some of the good work that Colour of Change uh, is undertaking in the racial justice space. You know, fast forward to today, uh, so much has happened in the United States um, since the start of 2020 um, with the uh, impact of uh, coronavirus on both the US economy and on the US healthcare system. And now with the, the deaths of uh, Maud Aubrey, Aubrey and uh, George Floyd and Bree Taylor, um, which has ignited this national protest movement uh, around racial justice and policing in the United States. Uh, I just want to get a sense from you about um, 
what what were your initial thoughts when you first heard about uh, the shootings of um, Ahmad or George? Um, what what thoughts went through through your mind? Well, um, like you mentioned, Corona has ruined a lot of things. Uh, so uh, I was I was in my house um, and I just. I had been avoiding the news. I hadn't watched it. I think I waited uh, two and a half days before I actually watched the video. And the only reason I watched it was because I had to write about it. Um, and so I think uh, it was it was horrible. Um, and I just remember uh, sitting there with my hand over my mouth, wondering why $20 and a, a counterfeit $20 bill shouldn't end in death. Um, it actually shouldn't even end in an arrest. Um, and so for me, that was, uh, it was horrible. And I, I just, you know, thought immediately of, of my brother, of my cousin, of my dad, um, and all of their interactions with the police. So you experienced that moment uh, and the impact that it has on you. But at the same time, you work for a national organization that actually deals with the impacts or tries to prevent these moments occurring. How do you mentally process that moving from the, the, the emotional and the rawness of it to then basically going to work um, and, and trying to, to trying to create change? Yeah. So um, I think for me, uh, color change follows a very descriptive model um, in which we first respond um, we're a digital first organization. And so we respond by giving folks something to do. Um, our criminal justice team launched a petition immediately um, calling for the four officers involved to be arrested. Um, and as we were thinking about that, uh, I work directly with our member led work. Um, and so managing our, our field staff, um, thinking about what do we do in order to engage people in this moment? Um, and so uh, one of the things that we knew we had to do was to be able to reach out to folks in Milwaukee. Um, and so we coordinated, we actually have a little bit of lag time um, in, in making sure that folks respond. Um, the first thing that we did, of course, was tell folks to share the petition. Um, as we're thinking about sharing the petition, we're always thinking about how are we continuing to build? How are we continuing to get more folks engaged? Um, I sent masks, uh, worked with um, all of our organizers. We have organizers that work with members in 19 different cities. And so focusing on, on making sure that our folks were safe in response to the coronavirus was also um, one of my first priorities. So we sent masks, we sent hand sanitizers, um, and we, we sent gloves. So thinking about like, what are the ways that we can support the direct, direct action that's happening in the moment? You just mentioned the uh, coronavirus in your remarks. I'm wondering how much the economic uh, health and social impacts of COVID-19 has had on the significance of these uh, particular protests uh, this year, as opposed to previous years, say Ferguson uh, or, uh, or Baltimore in the mid-2000s. Well, I think for us, we, I mean, it was clear that this would end in, in disaster from the initial response in March. Um, you see that we have a, a world leader who's not willing to put on a mask. Um, corporate, corporate and government leaders failed um, in how they responded to COVID-19. Um, we've got folks that still haven't even gotten a single check. Um, COVID-19 is continuing to kill Black businesses, Black jobs, um, suppressing the Black vote. Um, school children don't have access to the learning materials that they need. Um, and so when we think about like the future of black lives and black families and black communities, um, we knew that, you know, this was, this was a catalyst. Um, people are at home. Um, and the one thing that they, America continues to do is pr produce massive racial injustice. Um, as, as we think about it in response um, to COVID, uh, you see black communities that were workers in, in hospitals in Detroit didn't have PPE gear. Um, and so as you think about it, you know, the, the response of, of corporations and government leaders was 
was a failed one. Um, and so as people are sitting at home, uh, they will find something to do. Um, and this was a catalyst for uh, giving folks something to do and to take action um, and to respond to the injustices that we're facing, not just in the criminal justice system. With uh, the, I guess, the dual threat of dealing with the uh, the impact that coronavirus is having on on the black community in the United States, then at the same time, uh, the the death of um, black citizens. How does Color of Change work out what you prioritize? Because you already were doing work in the this the space of trying to overcome racial injustice and the way that um, Corona was impacting in that respect. Then how do you then pivot, or what do you, what do you, how do you prioritize to then say right, we need to now deal with um, the, the death of, of, of one of our citizens? Um, so Color of Change, uh, our campaigns team has uh, four teams within it. Um, so we have our digital and democracy team. We have our media, culture, and economic justice team. We have our criminal justice team, and we have our media, movement building team. Um, I am a part of the movement building team. Um, and so a lot of our work is focused on, on getting folks involved. Um, making sure that they have a, a way, a concrete way to take action. Um, we worked hand in hand with our media, culture, and economic justice team um, to stand up petitions, to make sure to recruit members, um, to talk about what was happening in the community. So one of the first things we did was work on uh, forcing, uh, basically forcing decision makers in cities um, to uh, suspend rent payments. So rent payments, mortgage payments, those things that were immediately hitting people. Um, we knew people were out of work and, and the economic impact of that was massive. The other thing that um, our criminal justice team did, um, they, they at the beginning of March, they launched a, a website called Humane Outbreak. Um, we knew that, that jails would be one of the first places that you would see massive outbreaks. Um, and with folks contained, um, we want to make sure that we're, we're getting folks out and as many people as possible. Um, the, t the rate of detainment in America is far exceeds that of any other country. And so as we're thinking about uh, what does it look like, we, we need to decarcerate. We need to let people out. We need to let people go home so that they can safely quarantine. And how do you do that? Um, so I think we think about this in stages. Uh, I, I don't think it's like all one thing, um, but immediately as, as far as like the humane outbreak response, um, we had a set of core demands uh, where we were asking, we were demanding a just response um, to this outbreak. And so making sure that uh, we were thinking about how we prevent the spread of disease, um, reducing the jail and, and prison and detention center populations before an outbreak occurs, um, it's the best and the safest way to pre prevent the spread of the disease and reduce the threat um, for the most vulnerable, vulnerable people who were incarcerated. Um, empowering folks to use all their powers, um, executive clemency, commutations, furloughs, those were all of some of the things that we were thinking about. Um, stopping the cycle of people in and out of jails and detention centers. Um, so basically making sure that you're not arresting new folks, um, especially for as, as we are thinking about like immigration bonds, uh, making sure that you're leaving people alone in this in these times where they need to be uh, safely quarantined in their pods with their families. Um, and then making sure that we protect uh, people who are incarcerated. Um, so eliminating requirements for incarcerated workers to perform the tasks uh, that put them at risk for contracting the disease um, and allowing them to opt out of, of, of different things. Um, so, uh, so responsibilities at work that would, that would require, that would make them more vulnerable. Um, making sure that they have the appropriate gear. Um, that's just a baseline one that you know, wasn't necessarily adhered to. Um, and then for folks that are working, I mean, making sure that, that folks who are incarcerated are getting a minimum wage, basically upholding the dignity of, of, and humanity of people. Um, 
not extending solitary confinement um, as a substitution for people um, who are uh, in prison and then making sure that they get the proper medical care. Um, so one of the things that uh, we were concerned about was thinking about like, they would say, oh, this was a reason to put people in solitary confinement, but making sure that they get the proper medical care instead. Colour of Change is a member of the leading change network that subscribes to the Gantz model of community organising. And because of this, you've had thousands of leaders across cities and towns in the United States uh, that you've developed their leadership over a number of years. What roles do those leaders play in the nationwide protests that we're seeing at the moment? Uh, and how much has this tested your own organisational uh, capacity? Yeah, um, so we have to... Uh, <laughs> say thanks uh, for Leading Change Network to helping in that work. Um, they are working with our team directly right now. Um, and so one of the things that, uh, that, that they are working on is that as we're coming out of this rapid response moment is really focusing on getting back to those basics. It's, it's very easy in a rapid response moment um, to just run around with your head on fire um, very much like this has to be done, this has to be done, this has to be done, and just trying to check all of the boxes. Um, so Leading Change Network is giving us that moment to step black back um, and make sure that we are learning from all the things that we have done and accomplished in this moment. Um, I think one of the things that was really impactful that we saw immediately um, in mobilizing our members was as we started thinking about uh, the ways in which we could really fight for long-term systemic change. Uh, we had the opportunity in Milwaukee, we were pushing a defund the police ask and in defunding the police, we're asking to um, move that money to community services, things that are needed in our communities very badly, libraries, public health, uh, affordable housing, um, all of those things were, were demands of where we were saying, take that money that the police would have gotten, that bump in their increase in their budget and reroute that to education. Um, make sure that our, our communities have, have after school programs, make sure that they have libraries, make sure that they have places uh, where they can, um, where we can respond without police. Um, and so uh, our members jumped into action um, by all over the, basically all over the country. Um, we had members who got on the phones, um, they heard about what we were doing and what they did was they sent text messages to people directly in Milwaukee. And so as they're sending those text messages to people in Milwaukee asking them to take action, they were asking them to call their local city council member. I think, I wanna say that we had that text-a-thon on a Wednesday night. It was one of the highest response rates we'd ever had. Um, from people on text, and by Sunday, the city council had said that they were going to defund the police. Wow, yeah, that's uh, that's pretty amazing. How do you go about setting your goals? Like, how do you what 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 does success look like? What is realistic? Um, uh, particularly with a lot of these short-term goals that you're trying to work towards in the moment. I mean, are you throwing hail marys, or is it? Or is, is it grounded in something that you actually can, you feel like you actually can achieve if you're organized well enough? Yeah. So I think uh, we think about how do we make a moment into a movement um, over the course of two weeks, um, color of change grew dramatically. Um, we saw thousands of people who were concerned about racial justice um, from the lens of police accountability, take action. Um, our goal is to string that narrative together, making sure that folks understand that racial equity does, is not just a matter of criminal justice reform, um, that it's about holding the media accountable for the images that they portray of Black folks. It's about making sure that uh, we have economic justice, um, that our schools are equitable. Um, and so thinking about it in a broader lens of what are all of the things? Um, it's not just one thing. Um, and so 
yes, we, we look at what are the immediate changes that we can focus on, and then what are the long-term systemic changes that can make this a game changer for our communities and result in a tangible win for our people. Marshall Gantz defines organising as the work of leadership or enabling leadership uh, to achieve shared purpose uh, in moments of uncertainty. Uh, these are very uncertain moments for you guys right now. And that I, uncertainty is the most important part. Wow, exactly, <laughs> exactly. right? Um, That's what we focus on at all times. Um, we, are, we are revisiting our engagement organising curriculum because we want to always recenter that that moment of uncertainty so everybody has the ability to lead what will you do in that uncertainty and obviously Gantz talks about uh, public narrative and the story of self us and now and in that story of self um, we're asked to consider a, a moment moment in time in which we faced a challenge and uh, where we got the courage to act, or where where does the hope lie? And I'm wondering, um, in these in these moments right now in the United States, how where do you find the hope? Yeah. So, I, <laughs> my personal story, I always think about my dad and, and the way that he developed leadership in in me um, and us as children. So there's three of us. Um, he was a small business owner, um, and and you know, in 1996, uh, I got two pairs of shoes to start the school year. Um, he was, he had a really great job at that time. And in 1997, he started his business and, you know, it was back to one pair of shoes. And he's like, you want to go with me? Um, and I was like, am I getting paid? And he was like, do you have a room? Um, <laughs> and for me, that was, I was like, fine, I'll go. Um, and he had a cleaning company um, and he went in to buff the floors of the gym and he told me here, he gave me a bucket and told me to go clean. Um, he had a contract with the Archdiocese of uh, Tyrone and we were cleaning this Catholic school. Um, and my, my, I was brought up in a Baptist church but I went to Presbyterian school. Um, and one of the things that you hear in the Baptist church amongst folks all the time is like, cleanliness is next to godliness. Catholic <laughs> I was like, apparently they don't have these same rules in Catholic school. <laughs> um, and I just remember the brown stained floors and the yellow underneath the toilet. And I did not want to be there. Um, and so I cleaned it and my dad came in to check it and he looked at it. Um, and he said, he said, Shannon, all you have is your work product. Um, and so he said, nothing he said they don't see me when they when they come back to school they see how well I did this he said go look at the gym um and he had me look at the gym and the floors were sparkly in the gym and then I looked at the bathroom and I had not done equally as well of a job mm -hmm. <laughs> I was just like where is your staff why am I here um but I went back in and he showed me how to clean the toilet and I cleaned it again and I did a better job. Over time, he realized like, hey, this isn't the job for her. But I was really good at keeping up with receipts um, and managing his books. And so by 14, I was doing small business taxes. Um, and he continued to look for what is that role that she can own? What is that thing that she can do? Um, and I think that that's pretty much like as I think about this work, like what are we presenting to people and what are the roles that they can take? How are we giving them an opportunity to lead? Um, and so I think about that a lot and really try to focus on what can I present to folks that they will want to do um, to take action in their local communities. We at Color of Change really focus on organizing from a stance of Black joy um, and Black joy is a form of resistance. And so I, I really try to embed that into all of the work that we do. And our team focuses very much on embedding Black joy into all of the work that we do. Um, actually, you spoke a lot about that when you ran a session with us uh, in terms of Black Joy uh, in when we were in DC in October last year. I actually think it's worthwhile actually sharing that with the rest of uh, the, the, the millions of Australians that listen to this podcast. Talk a bit about the how you celebrate uh, and embrace that. I think that's really important to to, to share with everyone else. Uh, you, you actually, I'm in this in this phase of trying to write a new organizing manual. Um, and so I've been testing out some language um, as, as we're gearing up for the 2020 elections and about to hire some new staff. 
Um, this is interesting that you asked this question for right now. Um, so I, <laughs> I'm going to share with you our new language as we start thinking about Black Joy. And so it's, it's not new in the sense of the program. I've just kind of been recrafting uh, some of our existing language. Um, and so our program really focuses on how do we serve our community. Um, and so fo focusing first on community building. Um, next is service. Um, and then accountability. We do, we do politics with a small p um, and basically providing that politically light but authentically Black experience um, that strengthens our community and celebrates Black joy. And so we talk about the collective cultural experiences that we share, um, but also understanding that Black joy is, is not monolithic. And so what is um, joyful for me, you know, it, it creates, you know, shared accountability and we we know that we have to celebrate Black joy together, but uh, how others on my, my team experience Black joy won't always look the same. Um, and so we try to make sure that everybody has a place to celebrate their version of Black joy in this program. Um, and so that means like committing to each other, respecting each other in the work, investing in our own leadership and the leadership of others, and then celebrating Black joy together to win for Black people. Um, and so at an event, you know, that's everything from food in, in Florida, the Haitian community does food different than the way our Houston squad does it. Um, and so uh, we have to think about what are those local references and how do we bring that into, into our events, whether it be the food, whether it be the music. Um, we've got a team that really loves their soca versus another team that, that uh, we've got members on our staff that are from D.C. and from the D.C. area, and they they like their go-go music. And so um, bringing all of that into the work to personalize the experience. I don't want you to pick sides or anything here, Shannon, but do you have a preference in terms of the various chapters of Color Change where you'd like to celebrate <laughs> Black Joy? Like no, no one in America is going to listen to this, so it's okay. You won't get dobbed in by anyone, all right? I love all of our members. It's it's very interesting. Our Houston squad is extremely unique, um, and our organizer there is amazing. I think it is interesting to see the work and the way that she does it. Um, I also really enjoy our LA squad. Uh, they they bring their own brand. Uh, they have Taco Tuesday, um, so bringing their own brand of how how they do Black Joy. Um, down in Florida, I talked about, you know, uh, our South Florida teams. They, I really love the work that they're doing down there. Um, and then Philly, of course, Philly and St. Louis, uh, they, they all have their own different version. Detroit is a special place for us. I think just in general, Detroit and the way that they show up is always, it's interesting to see. That was a very diplomatic answer there. <laughs> But you did well. And you, you ticked off a lot of boxes there. This is on where I like to go. I really love to go to Miami um, just because of the beach. Um, but with Corona, we haven't, you know, we're not taking any flights. So no. I haven't been anywhere since March. <laughs> okay, fair point. Uh, well, you answered that question very well. With so much going on uh, right now uh, across the board, how is Colour of Change? How are you guys keeping on top of the situation? How are you organising in this, uh, this chaos? Um, I think, you know, we have to remember our, our roles and our lanes. We talk a lot about stay in your lane. Um, and so covering each other and filling those gaps, but also understanding like what our lane is. Um, my lane is our movement building work. Um, and so making sure that we are engaging our people. Um, and that means talking with other directors across the organization to find out, hey, what are the things that I can engage my people in right now? Um, and then creating those experiences for them so that they have those opportunities. Um, I think our criminal justice team um, did a great job in, in the ways in which they responded. And it's up to me to support them and to ensure that they're getting the people power behind the campaigns that they're launching. How much of the campaign is centrally coordinated and to what degree is this leadership enabled, uh, all the leadership that is spread out across all the cities, how much is that leadership enabled to develop their own local strategies, tactics, uh, actions and uh, goals? It's both and. <laughs> so we have our member-led work um, and then we have our programmatic work. 
Our programmatic work is led by our in-office staff that um, manage campaigns, but our member-led work runs through our Organize4 platform, which you can find at organize4.org. Um, any of our members can go and start a petition. Um, and so there are benchmarks in which we set the same way that we would set benchmarks for our campaign staff. Um, we, we set those benchmarks to support our members in crafting and building their campaigns. Um, so if they have, you know, for instance, we have a team in Tampa um, they are strategic thinkers. They're continually thinking about the ways that they can challenge power locally. Um, and they have run, I think, three or four campaigns this year. Um, one they, they were able to win early um, was on holding uh, the, this apartment complex accountable um, for the learning of Black students. Um, it was a, an, account, uh, an apartment complex that services a lot of students. Um, locally, Spectrum is a internet service provider and had offered free internet to students. Um, the apartment company uh, had their own internet service provider and they were not offering free internet. And so what they did was they, they held the apartment company uh, accountable to ensure that Moonbeam offered free service to uh, residents for those months until the, until the end of the school year. I just want to get a, uh, a sense of the immediate goals that Color Change are pursuing in respect to the many cases that the, the organisation is taking against uh, politicians and police and whatnot with um, George uh, Floyd or Bree Taylor or Ahmad uh, Arbery and also what are some of the wins you've had so far? And the follow-up question is actually more about the long-term goals that climate change are taking in terms of leading up to the, the November elections, which feels like it's a long way away, but we'll be honest before we know it. Yeah. Um, so as we're that deep on the police ask was started out as just Milwaukee. We're looking at other cities now. Um, our criminal justice team just launched a defund the police uh, campaign in DC. Um, seeing, like I said, we, we, had members text other members um, in Milwaukee to call their city council members um, on a Wednesday by Sunday, the Milwaukee police had, uh, the Milwaukee city council um, announced that on Monday they would be defunding the police. Um, so I think we were able to see those changes. Um, those were some of the immediate impacts of the changes. Um, we are thinking about campaigns around uh, no-knock bans um, so uh, ensuring that uh, police do not have the ability to enter houses without knocking. Um, so for instance, in the case of Breonna Taylor, uh, we're, we're looking at what does it look like uh, to uh, remove police from schools? Um, unfortunately, when you look at uh, city schools, a lot of the largest cities that are predominantly black have a um, contract with the police to have police in schools. Um, in some places, you have elementary school, school students who go through the doors and they see a police officer on a daily basis. Um, and this is uh, largely uh, in Black communities. And so focusing on how to get police out of schools, um, I think we have the criminal justice team um, thinks largely about what are the, the systemic changes that we can make um, uh, as it relates to criminal justice reform. Um, and my, my work is to ensure that our members know how they can be a part of that work and how they can support um, on a daily basis. And so whether that is uh, creating local campaigns that mirror our national campaigns, whether that is making calls, sending text messages, um, that is our immediate goal in, in making sure that we have our members engaged. That's my immediate goal. And as you're getting closer to the November elections, I know that you guys are doing a lot of good work in terms of uh, trying to uh, support, uh, I think you're calling them champion prosecutors. Talk to us a bit about that campaign. Yeah, so Color of Change PAC um, is our super PAC. It is the electoral arm of the organization. Um, you can find information on votingwhileblack.com. Um, 
basically for us, we are invested in providing a positive space for black folks um, to learn about and engage in the issues that that affect our communities. And so as we're thinking about it, we're looking for who are those uh, prosecutors that will uphold our values and that we can hold accountable after they were elected. Um, we recently won an election in Chicago. It's the re-election of Kim Fox, who uh, we elected initially in 2016 um, after Anita Alvarez didn't respond, uh, was complicit in, in a cover-up around the death of Laquan McDonald um, in Chicago. And so as we start to think about what are those races, we really want to focus on who are those, who are those champion candidates um, that are upholding the baselines of our um, of our demands. And so as we think about our demands, um, it's, we, we have demands around ending money bail. Um, prosecutors hold a lot of power. Um, and one of the things that they can do is, uh, they can end the practice of money bail. Um, it has been found to be racially biased. Um, it is pointless. Um, it doesn't make people, uh, show up. It punishes people, um, for being poor. Um, and so, People who have not been convicted of a crime um, are not able to get out of jail because they don't have the money to get out. Um, and thousands of people are trapped in jail merely because they can't pay their bail. Um, and so looking at, at people who first are committed to ending money bail. Um, the other thing that we have, we have six basic demands when it comes to our prosecutors. And then we look at the local um, conditions as well. Um, and, but Treating kids like kids. Um, stop putting children in adult jails. Um, we, they don't belong in adult jails or prisons. Um, they're children. They deserve their childhood. Um, stopping unnecessary prosecutions, basically um, those unwarranted and unhelpful prosecutions of low-level offenses don't keep our community safer. They just add to the incarceration rate. Um, and then increasing transparency. Um, in 2018, we elected Wesley Bell in St. Louis, um, ousting the 18-year incumbent Bob McCullough, uh, who failed to respond to the murder of Michael Brown. Um, and so making sure that we're making the offices of the prosecutor more transparent, releasing the data, um, which usually leads to decarceration um, because we prosecutors have incredible amounts of data. Um, and the lack of transparency um, means that we don't know what's happening. Uh, we don't know if they're treating all people fairly by the same standard, if they're letting police off the hook, um, it, but basically not opening up that, trans that, that data to the public is a violation of our rights. And so making sure that people have the data to make uh, reasonable choices in their community. Um, and then stopping the anti-immigrant um, prosecution. And so separating families and removing people from their communities, um, it just adds to the incarceration rate. Um, and those are simple things that we can do. And then most importantly in this moment right now is who are those prosecutors that are going to hold police accountable for their actions? Um, they must do their jobs. Uh, prosecutors are elected uh, to, be, to maintain that level and that standard of accountability. Um, in the community. And so prosecuting police officers when they break the law, um, as you see that communities are asking for right now. Um, and they're not just asking, they're demanding. They're saying, you know, we will break the system down if, if you do not um, hold police accountable for their actions. And by prosecutors, I uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm assuming you're talking about sort of district attorneys, uh, people in those yeah. roles. Places they're called district attorneys. Some places they're called state's attorney. Some places they're called prosecutors. Um, so, <laughs> yes, but uh, they all hold the same function and the same role. So they mean the same, essentially mean the same thing in America. How does color of change uh, insert itself into electoral campaigns in the United States to ensure that you either hold uh, prosecutors to account? Uh, or that you work with your constituency to uh, guide them in the right direction to elect or campaign or, or at least vote for prosecutors that live up to the standards or the expectations that uh, Colour of Change set? 
So color change is uh, we, we, we think strategically about who and when and why we, we choose to elect certain prosecutors um, and to endorse and support certain prosecutors. Um, within, uh, like I said, we have a criminal justice team. And so we, uh, we work very closely uh, around the accountability aspect with our criminal justice team, um, looking at where are those districts where incarceration rates are very high amongst Black people? Um, where are our communities that are most impa impacted? And then we have to look at the data of like, do we have the votes to win? Um, and if we have the votes to win, who are the candidates there? Um, are they people that will represent us well and people that we can hold accountable after they are elected? Um, and so we are a fairly small super PAC. Um, we're growing rapidly. Um, we, we launched our super PAC in our offline engagement program in 2016. Um, so we don't take on every race, um, but we do take on uh, those in, in those districts that are really um, meaningful to our communities. And so looking at the data and looking at the number of voters, looking at the number of black voters, looking at the number of, um, we look at uh, voting propensity scores. So the likelihood of, of people to vote. Um, so we really focus on sporadic voters, those who are most impacted um, by the criminal justice system um, and those who are uh, least likely to go vote. And so we want to make sure that we are we are doing the work to both educate our communities, um, but to engage. Uh, we really believe in putting the community back in community organizing um, and the social aspect. That's the black joy. That's the social in our social justice. Um, and so making sure that, that we're doing all of that work um, to, to look at the holistic response. We're not, we don't want to parachute into a community and say, we know best, do this, Black voters, um, and tell people what they need. Um, we are listening for what it is that people want. Um, so as we're thinking about that, we're looking at those candidates. Um, we are reaching out to them. Our endorsement process is a fairly long endorsement process. Um, it starts with a questionnaire in which candidates have to go on the record about what their policies will be and largely in response to what are our basic six demands. Um, and then we focus on the district level questions. So the things that are happening locally um, that our members have expressed concerns about. We have a long history of building relationships with our members being a digital first organization um, to the ways in which we communicate with folks. Um, so our offline approach is to move our digital relationship to a physical relationship. And so how do we begin that process of starting to talk to folks to learn what it is that they want for their communities? What are the hopes and joys that you want to come out of your community? Um, and so how do we move to push for the, that type of change? Shannon, I'm wondering if you can share with uh, our audience some of the inspiring stories that have come out of the the movement um, and the national protests in, in recent months. Yeah, so I joined um, one of our organizing calls uh, just the other night um, talking to our members in Florida. Um, we are engaged in uh, two district attorney races. We'll be engaged in two district attorney races there. Um, in Orlando um, and Fort Lauderdale, which is Broward County. Um, and so we are, we had members from all across the state, um, new members to Color of Change who just recently joined in this massive growth spurt um, and, and existing members who've been with Color of Change forever. Um, and we sent, it was a Zoom call. Um, the organizers sent everybody to breakout groups. They had five questions, um, just some trivia to get to know each other um, and to start talking. And they came back to the full room um, and they were just so happy. And they said, you know, this has been great. There's so much terrible news, but all of the organizing that's happening in the building relationships and communities, even though it's over Zoom, um, is great. Um, and so they were, they were really excited about just the opportunity to grow and build across the state. Um, some of the folks were saying, hey, I've been organizing with Color of Change for uh, almost two years now. Um, and I came to Color of Change when I was in, in 2018, uh, when, when you all were doing that electoral program. Um, around the governor's race and, you know, just seeing these people up and down the state, this is, this has been such a great experience. So I think 
you know, we always debrief on the calls of what went well, what would you like to see us do differently? Um, and I, I saved the chat just because all of it was so uplifting. The civil rights movement in the United States uh, all through the generations ha- is littered with some incredibly inspiring uh, leaders. It has produced some incredibly um, inspiring, talented uh, people. And I am just wondering who's continuing that legacy. Like, who are the emerging leaders that are coming out of the movement in 2020? Yeah, so I think I'm always, um, I always look within the Color of Change Network. Um, and so I think for me, that's like a, uh, I, I recently had to to think about, like, as, as we're moving out of the Color of Change uh, Network, um, who are the people that are, are we're working with um, and the partners that we're working with on the ground. Um, and so uh, I am inspired by the work of the Dream Defenders in Florida. Um, I am inspired by, uh, we have uh, some really strong members in Tampa, um, like I said, that have run a lot of campaigns this year. Um, they really get the wheels moving. And so uh, a lot, I don't want to name names because I don't want to ice, I don't want to leave anybody out. Um, but that Tampa squad, um, just in general, I am always impressed by their leadership. Um, I think as if, I, if I'm looking across the country, um, it's always uh, we've got we've got partners in St. Louis. And so thinking about those those partners um, that work together uh, so well um, and really showcase the values of their communities um, in a way that I think is is unique to St. Louis. Um, and so I was looking at a article just the other day um, from Juneteenth. Uh, it was last night, actually, uh, um, with Kayla Reed on it. Um, and she's, she's a partner that Color of Change has worked with in the past. Um, and I'm always inspired by Kayla's leadership also. Um, and so uh, those would be some of the, the people that I think about. Um, she had organized um, with Color of Change during the Wesley Bell election um, and uh, brought hundreds of volunteers into that office um, to knock on doors. And so just continuing, continuing to think about her leadership and how we uplift local folks. Um, I think our criminal justice team was wor- working directly on the ground with folks in Milwaukee. Um, and it was a coalition of folks. Uh, we're also working with a coalition of folks um, in Detroit right now on the district attorney race. Um, and so I think that is, uh, that is a, a group of folks that I'm, I'm always like interested in what it is that they have to say and what, they, what it is that they are thinking about. So Detroit Action, um, Brandon Snyder up there is doing some great work. Uh, if there's any international uh, folks outside of the United States uh, wanting to lend their support to the good work that you're doing at Club Change, how can they uh, be a good ally and support a lot of the uh, activities that you have going across the country? Yeah. Um, so I think every every voice um, is an, an value add um, as long as they are echoing the calls of Black people. Um, I, I think one of the things that we have to think about is it's not that Black people have all these problems. It's that Black people are creating solutions to problems that were created in our communities. Um, and so we're, we're currently trying to think about um, what are the ways that we are creating solutions. And so I think for, for allies who, allies, we, we call them friends and accomplices that color change. Um, and so it's both arming and disarming at the same time of uh, thinking about how, how are we echoing the lives of the, the calls of black folks um, and how are we thinking and um, examining our own practices and policies to ensure that they dismantle white supremacy as opposed to reinforce it. Um, and so if, if folks are thinking about how can they support, um, I think we have, I think spreading the petitions of color of change is always very helpful. 
um, uh, whether it be folks from an international lens or uh, domestically. Um, I think we, as a digital first organization, we think about the ability to reach um, multiple audiences um, and to inspire people to act. Um, that, that level of solidarity is helpful. Um, I think donations are always helpful. It helps the work to go further. It ensures that we're able to be in more communities. Um, as I mentioned, we're in 19 cities right now, uh, organizing directly with our members. Um, of course, we always want to expand that work to ensure that we can reach more people. Um, and just demanding, echoing the calls for justice. Um, I think, you know, as we see, like, you know, justice is, is, can't be bottled um, to say that it needs to happen in this one place. We have to think about our daily impact, um, going back to that definition of leadership, of how do we lead in that uncertainty? Um, and so how do we ensure that we enable others um, to lead and to do that work? Um, and so I think there are specifically sharing the petition, um, making sure to, uh, to echo those calls um, of the people who are locally impacted. Um, and then um, donations, I think always, uh, we have a lot of digital uh, means for tuning in. Um, so tuning in and being aware, constantly re-examining of like, what can I do uh, to support the voices of Black and Indigenous people, people of colour in my community? And as a reminder to our uh, Australian listeners anyway, that uh, you can actually donate to Colour of Change. Um, the donation or campaign finance laws in the United States are fairly tricky to navigate. So a lot of the organisations that you may want to lend support to, you can't because they're PACs or for whatever reason that I'm not going to go into right now. However, um, Colour of Change you can donate to, which is great. Um, and you can just go to their website um, and on the prompts at the front there, donate away. It's colorofchange.org from memory. Is that right, Shannon? Yep. Um, so ours, our work uh, for, the, uh, for the C3 and the C4 is colorofchange.org. And so the C3 um, largely focuses on our education work. Our C4 focuses on our advocacy work. Um, so those those demands that we, you were talking about before of um, defunding the police, um, that is through our C4. Um, and you can find that at colorofchange.org. And remember, that's uh, color spelt uh, the American way, C-O-L-O-R. Shannon Talbot, thank you so much for taking time out of your incredibly hectic schedule to come on to Socially Democratic uh, today. It's been really, really uh, enjoyable re-engaging with you and talking to you once again uh, i really do appreciate your uh your candor and your honesty um and and your stories i can imagine this is an incredibly emotional and tiring time for for you and a lot of uh people working in this space so it's great great to have you on the podcast uh today and look we wish you and the rest of the team at color of change the the best of uh luck in the coming weeks and months as, uh, as you continue to do, uh, to do great work, um, fighting for, you know, what's an, such an important thing for, for the people of the United States in particular, uh, for, you know, African-Americans. No, thank you so much. And thank you for your continued support. Um, I, I think in terms of organizing, we always need those, those people to those, uh, that analogy of being a fish in the water and being able to have conversations to think about, oh, what are you doing? How are you doing that? Um, it's always really helpful. So I appreciate you extending the opportunity to be on the podcast and I appreciate you for continuing to reach out. Thanks, Shannon.